If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Bro. Why are you talking like that, man? You sound like you, you high? What are you talking about, man? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? You been smoking that, that, that Chiba? That sticky icky? <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Nah, uh, nah. So Just joking around, man, but you got, you got to take that stuff seriously. Yeah, well, yeah, in, in, in some cases... Um, it's but not yeah. all fun and games. Well, and sometimes it's fun, and sometimes you know it's serious. But we're addressing, um, or we're giving the listeners a recap on the Okanabiz conference that we yeah. attended. How did we get into that, bro? Uh, well, basically, uh, I thought it was a a pretty interesting conference to attend, and basically applied for it, but it said no independent media. Yeah, they they want to keep those uh, YouTube bong tokers out of the the conference. Yeah, so um, yeah, so they said no independent media, and so that disqualifies us. But I uh, I think when I was filling out the form for the press passes, uh, I think what was appealing to them was um, that we're that you know we have a Christian audience, uh, and so you know with, with cannabis and this how it's stigmatized in in that commu- in uh, in this community. Um, they're like, okay, well, you know, if you guys come to the, I guess they're assuming if we came to the conference, we'd be able to um, kind of shed more light and give more information on the on the movement of ca- of cannabis within the country and yeah. how and how it's growing and how it's an, um, a growing business. Yeah, I think I think for the Christian audience, there's there's definitely uh, a default position of stay away from the wacky tobacco. Right, right. Um, so just just quickly, uh, h- how did you enjoy the conference? Um, I mean, honestly, when we went, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I didn't know. I mean, there was, it was a three-day conference. I was only able to go to the business conference, which was the first day. Um, and so at least I, I was expecting, okay, this is going to be probably semi-legit. I mean, I looked at the, the schedule beforehand. Um, but it, it was proper. Like, they, they it, it would seemed like any other kind of business learning conference opportunity that I had been to in the past um, through my, you know, accounting history. Um, I, I thought it was really educational. Um, it was definitely, I think it was less, ta- I thought it was going to be more tailored to the, you know, recreational market than it was. Like, Sorry, I was expecting it to be more tailored to the recreational market. And it, in essence, it felt like it was more um, the business side of it, a little bit of retail. But then there was a lot of the mix with respect to the medical side. Um, and even the the CBD or, or non-psychoactive side, um, there was more of that than I expected. Right. Right. Because the first day, the Thursday was the business conference. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, from a cost perspective, that, that was part of the, I think that part of the conference that was the most expensive, um, 
I think I saw it was like 500 bucks and 600 bucks, depending on, you know, different price points. Uh, and then they had the, I think the full VIP package was like 750 or something. Right. Like so, so like you had on the Thursday, um, was the cannabis business conference. And then later on that night, they had the old cannabis industry awards gala. And that was at, um, Casa Loma, which, uh, was pretty swanky. Uh, we weren't invited, uh, <laughs> but maybe hopefully next year. And then uh, on Friday, they had the Cannabis Industry Expo. And then on the Saturday was the Cannabis Meets Healthcare. And then... Which which was a kind of an exclusive part of the conference yeah, as well. Yeah, and then, and then, uh, yeah, and then the, the last part was the Saturday evening, the Consumer Cannabis Expo. So, like, the VIP early bird was $599. And then the early bird rate business was $499. And then the Cannabis Industry Expo was $50. And then the Cannabis Meets Healthcare was $375. And the Consumer Expo was $15. So this uh, this podcast is hooking us up, bro. We're getting some free <laughs> some free stuff worth dollars. Uh, that, uh, you know, especially considering, you know, take a look at the fact that you already went to the Fraser Institute conference. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of dollars spent on that one, too. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're big time. No, Six I'm Cents is like, making change, literally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no biggie. Yeah, so so um, basically, uh, there was a like one of the keynote speakers was uh, Montel Williams from the Montel Williams show, uh, Henry Rollins and Ricky Lake, and I think that that was at the award show for the most part. I, I mean, yes. we when we I didn't see them or uh, like you know I didn't really I'll say I didn't see any big names or famous people through the business conference. Yeah, right. Um, it was strictly business yeah so so there was like 200 plus exhibitions 200 plus speakers um just and then like the nuances of the industry so you had like a lot of representatives from you know the security aspect yeah uh, like garda you know is on that which is yeah. something i wasn't expecting yeah so so they so security like pr- protecting um your investment well but also i think there's a an aspect of regulation that requires Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes. So, I mean, it'd be interesting and to just, see. And just protecting your product. Well, yeah, and, and that's where my question is. You know, as a more free market oriented person, would be like, you as a, you know, business pr- producer of this product, what level of security would you deem appropriate versus the government deeming that you need banking equivalent level of security, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe you would on a, as an individual. Yeah. But but one of the things that's interesting is like. The more the government regulates beyond what the consu- producer would have done on their own mm-hmm. means the greater the cost to the end consumer. Right. So, like, there was uh, security, there was uh, testing and lab service, education, packaging and supplies, pest control, storage, HVAC, technology, online stores, soil, labeling, licensed producer, legal, hydroponics, construction, Air control, nutrients, extraction, horticulture, <laughs> consultant, greenhouse yeah. systems, agriculture, media, engineering, insurance, vape, vaping, uh, clinic. So when you were when you were walking through the the con- the expo, the part that I wasn't able to see, yeah. you know what what cons- what you know booths or vendors kind of stood out to you as the most interesting or the ones you expected to see the least, like the least likely. You were like, oh, I was not expecting to see that here today. Well, it's just the clothing. I think um, the hemp clothing, that was, that was interesting. Um, but the booth I hung out the most was uh, Tasty Buds. 
Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I was uh, basically, you know, snacking samples. On samples. Don't worry, they weren't uh, buds of the uh, psychedelic kind. Yeah, yeah, no. So they're basically Rice Krispies square, like Rice Krispies, dusted uh, with hemp. Yeah, d- dusted with. Uh, yeah, man. When uh, you sent me that picture, I was like, they're handing out free weed. <laughs> <laughs> like it looked like a, a you know a, a nugget of weed and it yeah, was like yeah, you're yeah. like oh this is food I was yeah, like what yeah it, it was really good like this one of them had like uh, Oreo cookies you know fused into them and they were re- really delicious yeah you know I, I'll post the picture or um, a link to the um, tasty buds on on the um, show notes it was really good um you know so I was I was totally hanging out there yeah, but yeah. Um, but um, what stood out to you about the business um, uh, I mean there the was a couple expo? things I mean I think. You know, it was interesting to see, you know, the different themes um, with respect to, you know, there was a couple different speakers. There was a lot of, I mean, me and you split up other than the first first speaker that we went to the same. Um, there were so many, I mean, there was essentially two, two rooms you could go to at the same time. Um, I felt that there was a theme of, you know, Canada, Canada has a first mover industry advantage. Um, so the fact that we're legal, uh, legalized, you know, Canada wide, um, it seemed like there was a strong belief that that should position Canada or Canadian producers um, to be successful in this industry. And generally speaking, that's true. First mover um, companies generally have do have an advantage, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's going to be. I think this industry is is developing. And will develop rapidly. Like one of the other things, somebody contrasted, you know, Canada as a highly regulated context with Colorado, which is like the Wild West in right. the sense of like lack of regulation. Oh, um, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Which, um, and, and maybe it's not complete, you know, no regulation. Um, but the idea being that, you know, the regulation potentially stifles innovation because you're, 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 you're so focused on following the rules that you don't have the resources to innovate as much. Um, and I mean, I'm oversimplifying the position. Obviously someone could turn around and say, well, by regulating more you're protecting the consumers more, therefore you're going to get a higher quality product right. and therefore you're going to do better because you'll, so, I mean, there's, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, just make it as simple as I've laid it out. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously everyone should know I'm free market oriented. So I would think the less regulated industry, especially where you don't have a risk of overdose, mm-hmm. you don't have a risk of, um, you know, anyone's, you know, uh, over consuming, obviously you have to worry about addiction and stuff that would, that would go along with any sort of, um, uh, I mean anything really, I mean, you can be addicted to video games. So, um, yeah. Um, th- you also attended, uh, um, one of the talks on protection of intellectual property. Yeah. And, and in the industry. Yeah. That one I found what, what I learned the, I mean, there's, there's a lot that went on there. I, I have lots of notes. What I think, um, is something that I found that that's unique to the cannabis industry, especially in Canada, because, and this will tie into the session you went at the same time, mm-hmm. um, is that there's so much regulation around marketing to children that um, it limits your ability to use trademarks. And so something, normally with a trademark, think of like a logo or something that's differentiating your product, um, in a man and you and you don't want someone to be able to copy it so think of like rc cola 
copying Coke with only their color. None, you know, they can't make their RC mm. look like Coca-Cola's mm. logo. Right. Um, there's trademarking there. In order to normally, in order to protect your trademark, you have to use it. What's unique about the cannabis industry is you're allowed to register trademarks that you don't use because of the regulations that's preventing you from using them when it comes to marketing. Um, so that, I mean, there was lots of conversation around the intellectual property. What does it look like? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, plant patents was a, was an interesting conversation as well. Um, but what was really, to me, what was really, really intriguing, um, and this is where the, the California contrast came about, right? There's mm -hmm. really no regulation there when it comes to, uh, that's where the wild west comment came about with respect to marketing. Okay. Right. So if you were to go to California, you're going to see, you know, lots of different colors and packaging and, you know, that's, it's right. trying to appeal to you. Yeah. Um, and, and Colorado would, I think is pretty much the same California, Colorado. Um, and then, but in Canada, it's like literally like tobacco, plain packaging, you know, maybe you have like simple colors. And so this is where the uniqueness uh, with respect and, and, and maybe you can speak to a little bit more uh, what you learned with respect to the marketing within the regulated world within Canada. Mm -hmm. um, but the uniqueness that I found really, really interesting, and it's Bill C C 86, um, where basically cannabis trademarks are enforceable, even if not used, which is unique to the to this industry. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the business. Uh, the business conference. Uh, it's so funny. Um, yeah, there was a lot of networking going on. It was like people were very intentional. Like people were coming up to me and giving me my card and asking me what I'm doing here and what do I do. And actually, me and you remember me and you were yeah. sitting at the yeah, table. Yeah, we were talking to the guy who uh, and he approached us. Like you know, gave us our card. And he's like, you know, actually, you know what? You know, you know why people are coming up to us because we had the badges that said press. Yeah, media passes. So it almost seemed like um, those guys who had. Um, had businesses were looking to network with press people to get their um, products out there so people were coming up to us yeah this the guy who came really up good. to us was like an hvac solution guy yeah um that was like all about and they he does manufacturing over in uh china i think or, mm -hmm. or in the you know uh asian countries right i don't know this i can't remember the specific location but the idea being he was talking about you know having he his shifting his business from traditional HVAC, let's say, to now the cannabis industry because there's so many more nuances with regards to humidity control and different things that are unique. Um, and and really, you know, it sounded, you know, essentially he's talking about greenhouse mm -hmm. or, or um, you know, you think of like the massive facilities that have been built in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. Just creating new solutions um, right. and essentially creating the product over in a third world, you know, I don't want to say third world country, but basically having the ability to manufacture in a different country and bring it over here. Uh, that was his business. And he'd been doing that outside of the cannabis industry for years. Right. Uh, and then he's just helping, you know, new clients find solutions. Right. Uh, you know, I think the way I can summarize my experience at the conference is that, yeah, we need to, everybody needs to pay attention because it's not just, you know, whether it's to hire or not to get high, but there's just so many nuances to the cannabis industry that we all need to pay attention to. And it almost leads to more episodes, us doing more episodes on cannabis issues. So it's not just this one episode, but in the future, you'll be hearing us doing more nuanced cannabis. Yeah. And, and I think for the most part, we'll be leaving the, the, the recreational side with those conversations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the recreational part of this conversation is simple. Um, 
you know, it comes down to morality. It comes down to, you know, responsibilities, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not you even should be engaging in it. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, the lunch talk that we went to, uh, which was by a company called CB2 Insights, um, their title of their talk, I think was, yeah, it's how real world evidence is shaping the cannabis industry. Right. Uh, and what I found, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, I, I think you thoroughly enjoyed it because they also mm-hmm. gave us food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which I couldn't <laughs> eat, but um, I plan not to eat at events like this because I'm weird when it comes to food. But Really? That's a different podcast. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I, well, I enjoyed it. The sandwich was really... Uh, really good and you guys for those of you guys who are following us on our facebook page i posted i was posting throughout the day oh, yeah so darnell cool. had to definitely highlight that that yeah. sandwich because it was <laughs> it was pretty good it yeah. looked pretty good if i ate sandwiches yeah yeah I'd be all over it um, yeah and the free beer oh yeah i gave that to my dad he he thoroughly enjoyed it, it was non-alcoholic i think it had a like a cbd yeah. or a hemp yeah uh, but yeah, infused beer. yeah but no free no free weed though yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. That's, again, this was a business conference. Yeah, it's business. All I mean, business, yeah. Man. I mean, even you went to the consumer stuff. It yeah. wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It definitely wasn't handing out yeah, no. baggies of yeah. weed or nothing. But there were people handing out baggies. But anyways, yeah, but that was outside of the. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, continue different. on about um, how the how real world evidence is shaping the cannabis Yeah, what, what I found really, really intriguing was um, the idea that they were getting high quality, no pun intended, um, Real world evidence. So it was a matter of, you know, interacting with clients who were using cannabis for medical purposes and getting like, re- I almost want to say real time data. So using an app, uh, I think one of the apps was called Strain Sprint. Um, I'd have to find it specifically. But um, it was, you know, the idea of like reporting, hey, how does this particular strand or this particular product uh, whether it's, you know, how much THC or how much CBD um, and and w- how is it impacting you or, you know, what's working for you, what's not working for you. Uh, and w- why I find that interesting is that um, generally speaking, our current real world evidence, I mean, the best example of the poor quality within the data is um, food studies. You know, they'll give you for the last 20 years, what have you eaten? And it's like self-reported trying to remember 20 years worth of food that you've eaten. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, trying to come to any conclusion on that is largely useless um, because, you know, what's your, there's so many variables with respect to calories burned versus calories consumed, quality of those calories. You know, are you eating, if you're saying, oh, I eat meat. Well, is that a hamburger at McDonald's or is that a grass fed steak uh, on your, you know, barbecue at home or even, you know, pan seared versus, you know, different ways of cooking, right? All of these things that, that in my opinion, and I'm pretty into the nutritional world um, is important. Those, that variability in the data is lost because you're doing it on such a, you know, survey style um, real world data. Whereas this, they were really talking about, you know, feedbacking the data to the physician or, you know, the, the, let's call it a clinician for simpler, just the person working with them, working on their protocols with respect to how they're using cannabis medically to, to tailor it in real time, as opposed to trying to just study on the high level. And, and where that's interesting is, you know, right now within big pharma, we have, um, you know, double blind placebo studies, which are like the gold standard and, and they're very valuable, but they don't, uh, there's this concept within the nutritional community called N of one, which is you, 
you know, sample N is the sample size. So you being the individual sample. And so when you're looking at double blind placebo studies, the N is generally has to be a very large number. And the idea is to say for the norm, how do these drugs work? But one person might have a gene um, morphism, uh, genetic morphism, where now that's not working for you. So N of one is kind of taking into consideration you as an individual. And maybe that drug is only working at 50% uh, compared to the norm. Um, and so this is where real world data starts to allow you to customize, you know, uh, protocols for you as an individual. Um, and so I see it, I bet I love this. I thought it had a greater mm -hmm. um, value than just within the met this cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the reason why it's, becoming um relevant in cannabis is because there's so much variability in the product um you know when, when i was going through the patent uh thing they were talking about you know different plants being patented for like 20 years and mm -hmm. certain things that you have to show that it's your specific strain um and so i think you know kind of like the way we breed dogs you can crossbreed plants mm -hmm. and start to get so much variability in the plant yeah uh and then there's the you know, when we talk about, we've been talking about CBD and THC a little bit. There's also, there's like, those are two examples of cannabinoids. They're also, I think the most, two most potent cannabinoids mm -hmm. uh, within cannabis, but there's over a hundred cannabinoids. Wow. And so now, you know, there's an aspect where different strains or mm -hmm. different plants are going to have different variability in those cannabinoids. And mm -hmm. so we might start to see, oh, this cannabinoid does this thing. And, yeah. and that's where the real world evidence becomes really valuable to mm -hmm. start figuring out do we need to do double blind placebos where we're just isolating a particular cannabinoid wow. um and and so i mean there's a there's a, a piece i want to move into with regards to the the bigger economy or the bigger uh, financial impact or or um economic impact of the cannabis but before we do like i wanted to get you know i've kind of been going on a rant about this lunch session mm -hmm. you know what were some of the takeaways that you had or, or what would stood out to you as really interesting i mean maybe not even just that session but but the other sessions that you went to uh, so on friday i went to the expo and uh yeah like i said before there was just it was just like a wonderland of cannabis products uh, like i said from the legal to security I, so what you mean by cannabis product? You mean just just no just industries industry. within the cannabis, yeah, yeah, industries, sub industries yes, within yes, cannabis. Yes, yes, totally. Um, and then they had panel discussions, and then of course one of the panel discussions that stuck out to me was um, was more of a social justice one um, that caught my attention. So it was called cannabis legalization and the quest for social and economic justice. And like in our last uh, cannabis um, show we did. Uh, you know, I had concerns about those people who, you know, had charges prior to it being legal and, and how that was going to be handled. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just to I think last time we we spoke about this and I think we were relatively on point that um, our I think our conversation, we only touched on it briefly because obviously it was really I mean, mm -hmm. we did the episode in early 2018, uh, January of 2018, and it was legalized in October of 2018. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, some a lot of unknowns by the time it from between the two but we referenced that basically simple possession uh would likely be the only thing relevant to those who uh, potentially could get their charges dropped let's call it um and and so to contextualize that i would just want to say for the listener what what's what this is talking about is the fact that 
if you're if you were a dealer in the past and you're a dealer today, it's still illegal. Right? Like mm-hmm. I mean Toronto there's there's yeah, some good I'll put some that, show that, notes stuff in the point. show notes. That's a good point. Um about even not even just a dealer, but uh dispensaries. Right. Like Toronto has a problem where they're trying to shut down dispensaries mm-hmm. and they can't shut them down. So if you're a dispensary, unless you have like the in Ontario anyways, unless right now, unless you're one of 25 people with a license to be a dispensary, it's illegal. But they're having difficulty shutting down those. So if you are a dealer, I would consider that to be similar to a dispensary. Basically, that charge is not even in consideration because that's still illegal. Right. So it's it's really just. The thing that's legal today is if the cops pulled you over and you had, I think it's under like 30 grams, I think is the threshold. Yes. That, that yeah, you're deemed grams. to just be holding for personal use. Yes. Um, similarly, growing plants in your house. Yeah, and that's what they would call simple possession. Uh, would still would also qualify as simple possession. Yeah. So those are people who are convicted on those charges are, are what we're talking about right now. Yes. Basically, to put it really, really simple, I would say what is legal today mm-hmm. If you got charged with something that's legal today, but was historically illegal, mm-hmm. that's where there's question is, well, what do we do with those people? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's what this conversation, and there's a bill, uh, C-93. C-93, yeah, yeah I'm going to get into that, that. That That is the focus of this conversation. So um, I just thought it would be good to contextualize. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that, that was good. That was helpful. So uh, so the, the point of the panel discussion was they were looking at when former drug warriors like U.S. House Speaker John Bonner and ex-Toronto Police Chief and Tory MP Julian Fantino uh, become drug company executives, some were hinting at the hardest way, the hardest people who are hit by the drug war, which was indigenous people, people of color, the poor, and the marginalized. Um, and they were, and you know, of course, that's understandable, and it was kind of frustrating to me when I was contemplating that concept. Uh, so this panel. Uh, looked at the efforts to ensure the revenues from legalization extend beyond rich businessmen with attention to social responsibility issues like gender um, equity, energy use, and food security. Now, that was a lot of things that they touched on, but one of the nuances was the argument between pardon and expungement. So, um, And that's the focus of Bill C-93? Yeah, well, well, no, no, so so I'm going to... Oh, okay. Yeah, so quickly, just to, to give uh, more context. So um, the, the background for or what Bill C-93 is. So on March 1st, 2019, the government of Canada introduced Bill C-93, which proposes to allow Canadians who have been previously convicted only of simple cannabis possession to apply for a pardon, also known as a record suspension with no application fee or wait period once their sentence has been served bill c93 will reduce barriers to reintegration for these individuals by allowing them greater access to job opportunities educational programs housing and even the ability to simply volunteer in their communities so a pardon is basically saying um it sounds like it's removing it from your your criminal record well, it's more so no, no, no. Uh, so the expungement would, is would, a removal of your um, criminal record, as if you never did the crime. Okay. And then a pardon is what uh, C ninety three is. So they're saying, okay, look, um, we understand that um, the fees, the fees that you know to go through the process to get uh, the pardon, um, to be forgiven, to show that you served your time, 
Um, some people might not be able to afford that, so they're going to waive that fee so a lot of people can apply for the pardon and get that. But um, there's a group called um, Cannabis Amnesty where they're saying, no, pardon is not good enough. We want expungement. We want that whole record um, to be wiped out. Um, and in so, in so doing, they were basically making the statement um, – they were making the statement that uh, we want the government to expunge these records uh, to signal to the Canadian population that cannabis never should have been criminalized in the first place and to make amends for the discriminatory manner in which cannabis laws have been investigated and enforced. And so essentially what they were saying was, um, you know, no Canadian should be burdened with a criminal record for a minor, non-harmful act that will no longer be a crime. Right? So they're saying, you know what? We don't want, you know, Canadians deserve freedom, not forgiveness, which is, you know, that, that's deep when you really think about that argument. You know, Canadians deserve freedom, not forgiveness, meaning they deserve, um, those people who have charges, they deserve expungement not pardon freedom. Yeah, so I, I'm on a uh, frequently asked questions page on expungements mm -hmm. for the Canada.ca. Mm -hmm. um, and so just to contextualize a little bit more, uh, the statement's the same that you started with. The purpose of the record suspension slash pardon is to remove barriers to reintegration that can be associated with a criminal record. The criminal record can only be disclosed, ceased, or revoked in, in circumstances in certain circumstances. It's basically that the, the criminal record is kept separate and apart from, let's say, the rest of your profile. Right. Um, so it's almost like they've sealed the record. Mm. Um, whereas um, expungement, it, it's basically like, it's removing the idea of like, you were for, it, 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 you're no longer a former offender. Yes, right. Um, and it's almost... Expungement is also, uh, or sorry, expungement is essentially like they destroy the record. Wow. Of, of Okay. So here's the question. Here's so, the question for you. Hold on. Let me just read this sentence because I think it's perfect. Okay. Their conviction was for an act that should never have been a crime and had the conviction occurred today, it would likely be inconsistent with the Canadian charts of writer, rights and freedoms. So that's the idea of expungement. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, so my question to you is... Um, are you for expungement? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No brainer. Okay. Cause I'm not, me. I know I'm not, it's a, it's a, uh, okay. So, okay. I, so my question for you is, are you for expungement? Uh, yes. A hundred percent. Okay. I'm no a hundred percent, but I'm also, Actually, no, I'm, I'm no, um, 5%. So 95% no. Yeah. And then there's like 5% where I can maybe convince you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say part of the rationale for me has to do with my perspective on drugs as a whole. Like I think decriminalization is not good enough. Mm -hmm. I think all drugs should be legal. Um, and, and rather than getting into that conversation, I'll share a podcast from – the uh, Tim Moen, it's uh, his podcast is called Hard on Liberty. 
they just they just released an episode um, on drugs. So rather than getting into that, I think they they broke it down perfectly as to why my position is what it is. So I'll just share that. But but in essence, that's that's only half of my my rationale as to why I think it should be expunged. Okay, so then. Should, so you're saying, okay, should it have never been illegal in the first place? And I think that's a good point that they bring up. Yeah, and, and so I think, um, you know, in that regard, it's a slightly, it's a it's a tough question, right? So, I mean, this issue is is interesting because it depends on how you view law. Um, that question of, oh, expungement versus pardon, I think comes down to, did you view that the law should have it should have never been illegal or if your if your if your view is i agree it should have been illegal now that it's not illegal we shouldn't punish these people for that criminal record but we're not going to destroy the history that they broke the law um because to some extent i think that view holds that breaking the law is really the problem not the actual act as the problem Mm-hmm. Do, like so just to break that down uh, in a let's say as simple as possible mm-hmm. um the fa- like a criminal record is showing that you don't play well with others no um mm-hmm. is that you don't follow the law right you have a history of not following the law regardless of what those laws are um whereas i mean i i hold to the position that i th- i don't think we should have any victimless crimes as a law um, and, and, or I, that we shouldn't legislate morality is a, a vague way that I say that. And for anyone who's trying to challenge me to better understand my position, what I'm saying is we should have common law, 100% common law. So the idea of you violate someone's property, you violate someone's person, there are consequences and restitution is necessary. So, um, you beat someone up and put them in you know, the hospital for a month. Well, technically you should be paying them for their salary that they should have gotten for that month that they were unable to work. Right. Right. So there's restitution for the damage you've caused. Essentially I'm referring to tort law, common law, uh, today in today's world, what you, where you'd experience that is the idea of small claims court for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about damaging someone's property and restitution has to be restored. Mm-hmm. Um, with, and, and so, in in this context there's no violation of someone's property the crime that you're committing is the government said i can't do x me in isolation i'm doing x no one else is affected directly obviously if you want to propose the counter argument that well people are affected by drug addicts and whatnot okay fine but that's an indirect consequence of someone's behavior. And I don't think that's the role of law. I think that's the role of community, right? When someone in your community is shirking their responsibility because they're getting high 24 seven, I don't think the solution is lock them in a cage so they can't do their responsibilities even more. I think we should be working to restore them to to their responsibilities. And coming around their family to support them while that happens. But um, so, I mean, just to, I wanted to frame my position with respect to, to the law. Um, so in this regard, you know, I think expungement is appropriate because my perspective would be the reason they changed the law 
is not because it should have been the law in the past and it no longer should be the law is because they're changing the law because it never should have been illegal. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for you, you know, what, what's holding you to the idea that, you know, that, that pardon is sufficient. Yeah. So my whole thing was only if the person has been falsely accused, should they receive expungement? Well, and I would say that's that, uh, yeah, that sounds right. That's a, I think that's a, I would think every, all of our listeners would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's where our <laughs> false conviction so, expungement. Yeah, no yeah. Now that the law has changed, nobody should be uh, serving time and offenders should receive a pardon. Now, the interesting thing is when, when you, what you just read, mm -hmm. and I didn't realize this till now, mm -hmm. it said once their, their, uh, time is served. Mm -hmm. Right. So, if I'm understanding that correctly, let's say you had a drug conviction that was for five years, you're mm -hmm. still in jail. Mm -hmm. You come out of jail, I think, and I'm kind of speculating a bit, what that would mean is now you can apply mm -hmm. and that would reduce your probation once mm -hmm. the application goes through right. so that you no longer have a, a probation and you can essentially get back into reintegration. Yeah. But if you're in jail, you have to wait till you're out of jail. You're you're not You're not going to be pulled out of jail yeah, well, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think um, somebody should be serving time um, for something that's no longer illegal. So, so that's where that five percent probably of your yeah, yeah. So so then so then you you would be granted a pardon and be able to leave jail. Um, mm -hmm. But it's on based on what you read. It doesn't sound like that's part of the yeah. No, I, I know it's just me. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah. no I, which which I think most of our listeners would agree with that. Yeah, right. Yeah, like if you're in jail for something that's no longer yeah, illegal, it cool. sounds stupid yeah 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 so, um, that's, so that's totally not not cool and, and i can understand the whole social justice sentiment where you're saying like okay you know you know these white police officers who are booking you and now they're making money off of the same thing they were booking people for and you know you know marginalized racialized groups of people are in jail for those charges or for those um uh, for those crimes and well, so forth and so, and the other side of it is generally speaking those that are poorer mm -hmm. are more likely to be convicted. I yes. mean, this is a problem. Like, you want to talk about systemic discrimination. Mm -hmm. Our legal system, not just us, U.S., mm -hmm. like a lot of the legal systems around the world, there's a systemic discrimination against the poor. Yes. So your level of wealth going into a court case directly affects the likelihood of, uh, let's call it a the conviction. Outcome. Yeah. Or, or yeah, directly affects the outcome. Yeah. Um, so let's say the level of plea that you get, well, how far do you get to plea down? How, what is the likelihood of going to jail versus yeah. probation? So, yeah. So I would, I would agree with that. And I would so, say it in the way that um, it isn't because you're black or you're indigenous, why you're being found guilty. It's because you're poor. Yeah. So, so um, where, where this part of the conversation is saying after being arrested, Right. Forget like we can talk about the likelihood of arrest and whether there's um, discrimination there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But if the, what we're talking about is once you've been charged, yes. what the likelihood, uh, I would say, for the most part, mm -hmm. race is um, maybe a factor, mm -hmm. but a way bigger factor is wealth. Yes, of course. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I, now, of course, for the listeners who would disagree, uh, please. Um, well, so if the listener is know. saying that the black community is has a higher proportionality of poverty. Mm -hmm. Again, you might be right, but that that's just applying the discrimination of wealth 
because you're more Versus proportional. Race. Yeah. Right. So the race itself, like why you have more poverty mm-hmm. might be a racial discrimination issue. Okay. But that doesn't, when it comes to the court system, it's not that they're prosecuting, you know, one race more harshly than another. Now, you could say that certain mm-hmm. judges are and certain, but I would say the system as a whole is not racially discriminant. Yeah. The system as a whole is income discriminant. And it's, it's funny you say that because uh, uh, Justin Trudeau was talking about his brother having a cannabis conviction back in the day. And his brother got that cleared because he could afford lawyers who could yep. clear him. Uh, so that's pretty, uh, yeah. So you know, I, I I thought I thought that was a good point you brought up. But in regards to the uh, the question about, you know, where was you know was the government wrong for making it legal then? So um, I, I just wanted to bring the why why I wanted to go down the income route mm-hmm. is because I think the fact that people should actually be applying and there's costs associated. Yes. This is why I wanted to bring up the income thing because mm-hmm. what that's saying is the people that are trying to get pardons yes. and have to apply for it are yeah. likely to be in more impoverished scenarios. Yeah, and, th- and that's so, what, that's what cannabis amnesty is saying. So, so I would agree with them 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Like disreg- like regardless of why you say like the racial side what I don't like mm-hmm. we can disagree on some of the, the or agree. I'm not trying to say I've fully hashed out my position. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's more digging that needs to be done to mm-hmm. to potentially find out is there um discrimination racially as to the whole let's say cradle the grave of uh, arrested to conviction but we can all agree that those that are in jail have a higher level of poverty and therefore you all i would say what the the government should be doing is defaulting them to pardoning right so just find the records that need to be pardoned because they qualify and just process them automatically as opposed to charging these people fees as and this is where my position towards expungement comes in because it starts to speak to the fact that this should have never been the law in the first place Okay, and and so, that's right. I disagree with that. Yeah, um, I mean, we can get into that in a second. But but what I'm saying is, you know, where I would agree with them and where their you know social justice position is is that these people are already poor. Now you're going to make them pay more money to get rid of this thing that should have you know arguably could have never should have never been there in the first place. But we can agree that they qualify for pardon. Um, and now, not only do they qualify for a pardon, they also are going to have to pay a bunch of money that they don't have to get mm-hmm. that pardon. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so C-93 wipes out um, the charges, I mean, the fees for that. So that's cool. Yeah, so that's where, yeah, you know, this yeah, bill is is, yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, but I would still say it's still, there's still time required, mm-hmm. right, to, to process. So mm-hmm. now you don't have to pay the fee, but you still got to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would say the government should go even further in mm-hmm. processing it automatically, mm-hmm. right? Anyone who has this conviction, just start the pardon process. Because I would think... Um, from a data perspective, th- hopefully um, there'd be unique identifiers within the these types of charges that you could easily just say, okay, these charges of X, quali- you know, certain data points don't show up on your standard record, right? Because the idea was w- what we read that it's kind of, they part, they, it's not that they erase the record, they just move it into a different classification. Um, now, maybe I'm, too hopeful in the quality of government data and so maybe that's an aspect where my what i'm asking for there's a limitation on government resources because they can't just find it within the data um they need the individual they need the individual to to raise um the the issue to the government to say hey i qualify for a pardon please dig up the you know the paperwork and the files to set to validate my claim um, rather than the government being able to just find it on their own. 
Um, so coming back to your, you know, the question, I think where we have a little bit more disagreement that you haven't hashed out yet, you know, why for you, do you think it should have never been illegal? I think like, well, or it shouldn't have been, it, it's fine that it's illegal or legal now, but in the past you're kind of holding to the fact that it, it should have been illegal. Yeah. So the government wasn't wrong for making cannabis illegal and they're not right for making it legal because the government doesn't define what is right or wrong, uh, nor does the culture. So I would say like the word of God defines what is right and wrong. And that's where we talk about the good and also the true. Um, so God grants authority to the government to promote good and restrain evil is what we see in Romans 13 verses one to seven. So people are free to choose to disobey the law, but they must live with the consequences of their decision. So uh, um, there's no coincidence that it's no coincidence that we see that sin means to miss the mark or to uh, break the law. Uh, and the biblical definition of justice perfectly executed, um, like perfectly executed is to die with your record. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson uh, had a really excellent uh, sermon illustration about uh, like in the 16th century um, in Ireland, you know, you could walk down the street and see a sign that says that um, Tim Smith was justified at 9 a.m. today. Mm. And that sign and him being justified meant that he was hung. So paying he, for his. Yeah, he was justified. Yeah, so because, yeah, so he was paying for the crime that he committed. And so now he's cleared of his crime um, because he's fulfilled. He fulfilled the penalty of it. Uh, and so that's why, you know, you kind of see, um, and that's why um, we see with, um, as Christians, we see the um, justification, how we're justified in Christ because Jesus Christ comes. He lives a perfect life. We don't live a perfect life. Our sin is taken from us, given to Christ. Christ's righteousness is taken from us and given, taken from him and given to us. That's why we're justified. And that's why it's important when we look at Christ dying um, for our sins. He's fulfilling, he's, he's fulfilling our um, debt, our uh, penalty. Um, and therefore, justification happens at death. Um, and I say all that to say that um, for the person who has a record, you live with that record. Like, like it is what it is. It's a sign of, um, like you said before, like what is the role of, um, having a criminal, a criminal record? Well, the, the record is to, well, hopefully bring about remorse, but also to let people know, you know, who's trustworthy, who's not. And, and, and on a deeper level for the Christian, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sign of, um, your disobedience to God. Yeah. I think, you know, and I, I, I think you, you stated something there that I would agree with but I think it's skewed in the application. So I would agree that our criminal record is a proxy for whether or not you can be trusted. Now, the question is, what do you think that the proxy of, what are you trusted with is, is, is the question. If you think the proxy should be whether or not you can follow, trusted to follow the rules, as opposed to, I think, under what I've laid out as my framework with respect to common law, the criminal record would be a proxy of whether or not I can trust you with my property. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And and and, but I would say the current use of criminal records is not is not a proxy of that. It's it's a part of a bigger proxy which says, can you follow the rules? Mm -hmm. The rules are 
include things that relate to trusting you with my property, but they mm -hmm. also include things that have nothing to do with Europe, you know, trusting you with my property, like victimless crimes. Um, so, you know, I think you could take a couple different steps to say, well, if someone's addicted to drugs, mm -hmm. they're more likely to steal your stuff to pay for their habit. But that's like five levels or a couple levels away from mm -hmm. trusting you with their property. Mm -hmm. Right. Because um, so that and that's where, again, I think this issue comes down to what do you what do you view the role of the law to be? Um, and, and for me, I think the role of the law, I, I've quoted Frederick Bastiat over and over again, is to undo injustice or to prevent injustice from reigning um and and it's too i think it's too simple or or actually too problematic to say it is the role of law to make justice reign and again i'm i'm paraphrasing slash quoting bastiat um but i think that that part of the problem with the way that we view law today is that it's too wishy-washy and what I mean by that is, depending on the, mor the, the morality and the belief system of those in power, that law can change significantly. Whereas a common law concept is subject to relatively objective tests. Violation of property, damage to property. Whereas, you know, why this drug? You know, why is, why is caffeine legal? Why is alcohol legal? But, you know, heroin illegal. Well, because someone subjectively decided so right so one thing that relatively speaking are very similar in behavior and to be honest um i think alcohol is way more dangerous than than most of the drugs we have as illegal um and again i'll, I'll refer you back to please check out this um podcast episode on drugs by tim moen i think it is excellent it, it just they the two of them on the show just broke this issue down perfectly um and one of the things that I haven't stated, but I will state right now is the morality of drug use is, is something that I think you require personal responsibility of and arguably by making it illegal, you're, you're actually removing a lot of the personal responsibility aspect. So I would tell people, yeah, we should make all drugs legal. That doesn't mean you should do those drugs or by any means should we make people or, or promote people doing all of these drugs. Um, but it's a really big conversation that I think beyond, is, is way beyond the scope of cannabis. Um, but I think cannabis provides a really good opportunity for you as the listener to think about it, right? Like I, I don't, I don't want the listener to think I'm telling you if you believe differently than me that you're totally wrong and I'm right. I'm just trying to provoke thought. Um, I've, I've wrestled with these ideas. I mean, from a Christian perspective, there's things with, you know, the history of the Christianity where we've deemed certain things illegal that I think have been destructive to our, to the gospel. Um, and, and the simplest one being, you know, punishing people for homosexuality. I, I think that is so detrimental to, to spreading the gospel because you're, you know, you're almost classifying one sin as worthy of death but very similar sins like, um, you know, cheating on your wife, you know, sexual immorality as a whole doesn't qualify. Um, and so it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a slippery slope when it, going back to my idea of like when you're legislating morality beyond the concept of violating property and, and person. Um, so mm -hmm. that said, uh, I think we've hashed this issue out quite a bit. Um, 
I think the only thing that we haven't touched on that this conference definitely touched on is the cannabis market and, and kind of the investing side of it or, or the growth of it. Um, so in that regard, what did the, did the conference kind of open? I mean, it sounds like a bit, it opened up your idea. Like you've already mentioned, you know, the amount of mm-hmm. sub industries or, or related industries to the cannabis market kind of blew your mind a little, mm-hmm. but, but for you, you know, is there anything that, that, uh, the conference kind of made you think that there's maybe a greater application? I mean, partially I'm asking, why do you want to do more episodes on cannabis beyond the recreational market? Uh, well, of course, uh, I think the medicinal side is huge. Uh, and I have, and I know a lot of people who use medicinal, medicinal, uh, cannabis. Um, and it's such a huge issue. Um, so that's something that, um, I think is important to talk about. And of course, you know, the hemp and all that other clothing and so forth. Yeah. So, um, I'll finish. Uh, I think I've got a couple things that I've learned more recently. There's a, there's a podcast episode on the Mike Dillard podcast. I'll put the, sh- put the episode in the show notes page. He was interviewing, um, this guy Tika Tawari. I think I said the name, right? He was, uh, I think he was working in mutual funds and, you know, investment banking for a while. And, and now he's kind of on his own doing his own thing. Um, and, and on the show, he broke down, um, you know, where he saw the, the cannabis industry going. Um, so I'll, I'll just quote a couple things. Like I said, I'll put, put the, a couple links in the show notes page. Um, but what I found most interesting was he was talking about the cannabis recreational legal. So he was referencing, sorry, uh, Chris Carey, a Merrill Lynch analyst. Uh, he referenced this uh, quote from him. Basically, he was estimating the total addressable market for cannabis, which is both the legal and uh, black market for recreational cannabis, as one, 166 billion. And um, he then also said, we estimate consumer categories generating 2.6 trillion in revenue per year being disrupted from health and wellness to alcohol. And so what what. Uh, what Tika inferred from that, and, and I'm not 100% sure if he, his inferred was, was totally correct, but what he was saying was that the legal cannabis, which would be like CBD, hemp, so we're talking about the U.S. to some extent, or he was talking about the U.S. because in the U.S. only 11 states ha- uh, have recreational cannabis as legal. So for hemp, which was just made legal by the Farm Bill, which is where you can get hemp, basically within hemp you can get uh everything but THC from a cannabinoids perspective. And so the the market is massive when you look outside of the let's get high market or the recreational market. Um, we're contrasting 2.6 trillion versus uh, 166 billion. And so where that's really, really interesting um, is the fact that, yeah, Canada, Canada has the first mover within the recreational and that potentially gives them a first mover within beyond mm-hmm. recreational. But he quoted um, producers uh, as Colombia being a low cost producer at 10 cents a gram. Whereas in Canada, the lowest is $1.86 and on average, 6 to $7 per gram. I, being free market oriented, would say that probably has to do with the massive amount of regulation. And if you think I'm kind of overstating it, it is ridiculous. Like, Basically, cameras 
every square inch of the facilities. They have to keep all these records so the government can verify that nobody's, oh. you know, stealing stuff out the back door and, <laughs> you know, product that, uh, excuse me, qua- product that, that doesn't meet quality standards is, is getting destroyed properly. Like, and, and not to say that you shouldn't, you know, as a consumer, you, you want moldy or, or just, you know, whatever the quality controls are, are verifying or don't qualify mm-hmm. that you shouldn't, that, that, that should be sold. But the idea that the, the firm can't create its own reputation for having quality and we need the government to verify quality um, is where I think this cost of, you know, vastly different between two countries uh, comes into play. So he was saying basically where this industry is going from an investment perspective, where he deems the investments to be is one in the bulk cannabis supplier, which would be the low cost producer because of the cannabinoid side, because of the legal side where we want more of this product, not from a let's get high perspective, but for the actual um, quantity being used in, in, you know, you were talking about hemp clothing. Um, I think I've heard Joe Rogan talk about like a hemp wood that is like the strongest wood, but lighter than any other wood. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's call hemp paper that apparently is a much higher quality than the paper we use today. Um, the other thing that he, he stated, um, and I guess we'll kind of wrap up after this is where he would invest is in companies that are working on synthetic cannabinoids or synthetic, um, components uh and 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 that's an opportunity for innovation again because that's part of the 2.6 trillion as opposed to the 166 billion um and so i think for us as christians if you're like i'm anti getting high you're or even if you're not a christian you're anti getting high you're anti you know getting you know Mm. getting lit um Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a reason why or there's a reason to consider cannabis and hemp as an industry as actually still important to you because that's basically that we're talking like over 90% of the potential market in the future. Uh, and so that market could actually impact you. Um, on this episode, he was talking about, you know, he was seeing soda with CBD in it, which you essentially can't over consume CBD and it has a lot of good anti-inflammatory, uh, components for, for people. Um, and and sleep, there's there's oh my goodness, it's the 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 vast array for the medical oh, right, slash yeah, yeah you know health part is is going to be really interesting. Um, so for the listener, Darnell, as my T-shirt that my wife bought me for Father's Day says, what's your two cents? Okay, so my two cents is that you know expungement does not justify you; um, it only pacifies and disguises you. So pacifies in that it um, the blemish on your record should lead to remorse, which in turn should foster some kind of uh, rehabilitation. And what I mean, but what I mean by disguises um, is that the mark on your record is assigned to others to protect them from untrustworthy people. Uh, kind of like what you were saying, Joel. And so, like, you know, God is good. Um, he gave us the government as a type of a type as a type of relationship um, or a symbol I should say um, between um, his righteousness and our sin um, therefore obedience to the laws um, that align with God's laws um, is a good thing so being obedient to the law um, is a good thing especially if the laws align with um, God's word so like the blemish that you incur in breaking the law stands as a sign for um, civil order 
and judge and the judgment to come. So expungement means uh, a person's crime is erased in the eyes of the law. That's essentially what you know we kind of concluded. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, no crime is erased in the eyes of God. Like all crimes must be paid for. Either you die with your record, or you have an advocate who takes uh, the punishment for you. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's what I would say my two cents is. So, I mean, my two cents uh, would be that, you know, we're blessed that we got to go to this conference. Um, we, I learned a lot. I definitely didn't know what to expect going in from, uh, you know, is this going to be a waste of time? You know, am I just going to learn about how people are getting high? Or am I going to learn something about the business? And I learned a lot about the business, which... You know, again, with my financial accounting type of background, I, you know, it's it's interesting to me. Um, so, and and I think for the listener, there's there's so much more beyond what you probably just hear in the news with respect to cannabis. For the most part, it's the sensational recreational stuff that you're only hearing about. You know, the dispensaries in Toronto not trying to be shut down, that kind of stuff. Um, this, I think, there's a much deeper deeper issue i mean even i would say you know i've heard a couple episodes of molar on the briefing where i'm just like you're you know you're you're not representing the full picture you're misrepresenting you're not straw you're you're straw manning cannabis um and and i would suggest that's probably out of ignorance slash the the christian worldview on cannabis which is or a conservative worldview yeah conservative too not necessarily be christian yeah no agreed but i mean the i yeah sorry when i say christian worldview i mean the not so much the biblical worldview, but the, the overriding current Christian view that mm-hmm. cannabis is just this thing to get high. Like, I think I, I want to say I've heard a, I don't, I don't think it was Mueller, but I've heard like a, a pastor or kind of reference like, oh, you're using cannabis as a, under medical use as a guise to just get high. Um, and I think that's a, especially when you look at the opioid usage and how detrimental that is to society and saying, if you took 90% of people on opioids and put them on cannabis instead, we, we as a society would be drastically better off. Um, much less overdoses and much less other things that are going on in terms of that level of addiction, suicides, um, and, and mental health that, that, uh, opioids are, are causing. So I think that this is an, uh, you know, from a medical perspective, we need to open our eyes that there's, you know, medical and health uses, um, that are going to, you know, potentially drastically change how we think about this, uh, with respect to, you know, the expungement, um, you know, my two cents really is, I I think I would agree with everything that you've said with the exception of, you know, where, where does the role of government and morality or, or crimes against God, where, where does that role of government, where is it limited? I think that's something that we almost, we don't think about enough as Christians. We, we kind of, we, yeah, we're supposed to follow the laws of the land that we live in. I would agree with that. Um, and, and there's consequences according to that. Um, but I think we also should, you know, there's some people who would argue, oh, we, we should be um, trying to shape government in the way that it's designed by, you know, or, or God, as God would have us to. And I think there's not enough questions around as Christians, where does the line for government lie? Um, the, the, I think the right question is the idea of civil magistrates, you know? So what is the role of the family? What is the role of the church? 
What is the role of government? And then I would tier that into community government, local government, federal government, state government, like those all things that have different uh, different levels. Um, I th I'm going to probably butcher this quote, but I've heard it said, um, you know, something like, within my family, I'm a socialist. Within my city, I'm a, you know, conservative or I'm a liberal. Within my province, I'm a conservative. Within my federal government, I'm a libertarian. And the idea being that the more the farther removed the government is from you, the less impact they should have on your life. And so, you know, yeah, within my, my family, I am a socialist, 100%, right? Everything that I earn is shared equally amongst my family. And I'm, if anything, it's to them first and me last. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that's what I'm called yeah. to do. Um, that's good. And, and so, you know, I think... That's where, okay, when we start to look at what is the role of that federal government, I think, again, I would go back to, biblically speaking, yeah, violating other people's person and property, I think you can make a really strong biblical argument. But I think when it comes to your individual morality, that should be at the church level. That should be at your community level. It should not be at your state and federal or provincial and federal levels. Um but again, I'm kind of going off and creating a new topic in my summary two cents. Um, but yeah, for the listener, what do you got to say? What's your two cents? Hit us up, social media, Six Cents Report on all, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Six Cents Report at gmail.com. Let us know. Tell, like, what, maybe if there's an aspect of this conversation you think we're missing, tell me. Right, right. And you can uh, follow me at do good at Darnell, D O G U D D A underscore darnell on twitter and instagram and darnell samuels on facebook and t joel and 39 on all social media or joel nicoloff facebook and remember six cents makes change but you heard me does that make sense I hear